0: Happy Sunday, church family, and welcome all of our guests who are listening in online this weekend. Uh, I'm so excited that you've joined us. We are in the last week of our message series on the Old Testament book of Ruth. So if you have a Bible handy, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to read through the entire chapter just like prior weeks, and then we'll dive in and go a little deeper this morning. So Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said to him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name. And keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with that, I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in at the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he was her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. The book of Ruth opens with three funerals, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, but concludes with a wedding and new life. In fact, within the first five verses, we do see heartbreak and suffering, but the last chapter gives us a clear picture of hope and joy. Over the past several weeks, we've had a front row seat to God's extraordinary work through the lives of ordinary people. This last chapter focuses in on three of these ordinary lives, and in doing so, reminds us that Jesus is the true hero of the story. Today, we're going to talk about the bridegroom, the bride, and the baby, seeing how each one of these individuals points us to Christ. The first person that I want to talk about today, if you're taking notes, is the bridegroom. We're going to talk about the bridegroom. We see that in verses 1 through 10. Last week, we learned that Boaz was Ruth's family redeemer. Now, the law of the family redeemer is given in Leviticus chapter 25, as well as Deuteronomy 25. And the purpose of this law was to preserve a family's name and to protect the property that was owned by the family. So when this law was obeyed, it made sure that a dead man's family name didn't die with him and that the family's property wouldn't be sold outside the family. Boaz is called Ruth's family redeemer several times in the latter half of Ruth. The word redeem literally means to set free by paying a price. To set free by paying a price. I want to switch gears for just a moment and talk about how this word relates to our lives. So when it comes to spiritual redemption, the Bible clearly teaches that outside of a saving relationship with Jesus, people are in bondage to sin. They're unable to save themselves, to set themselves free. Before a person has a relationship with Jesus, they're like captives who are held in chains. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through three, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to Christians in Ephesus. So God's word tells us that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for sinners. Again, outside of Christ, a person is a slave to sin, unable to free themselves. In fact, the Bible tells us that no amount of good works can free a person from these kinds of chains. But because Jesus gave his life as a ransom for sinners, we can now be set free from the chains of sin. This is all because of God's grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can truly set a person free. If you go to Barnes & Noble in Onalaska, so if you live in this area, this is something my family and I love to do, especially on the weekends. If you go to Barnes & Noble and you take just a quick glance at the religious section of books, you'll notice that there are certain topics that far outnumber the rest. In fact, I've noticed a pattern over the past several years, um, books addressing themes like hope, joy and deliverance have only increased in popularity. So we're currently, hopefully, at the end of an election where the candidates are both promising things like individual rights and solutions to everyone's greatest problems. That's all we've heard for the past several months. Yet more than ever, people are in bondage to things like drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, food, work, and hundreds of other things that we've allowed to control our lives to enslave us. We should be grateful for those who are in positions of authority, especially government authority. The Bible tells us that we should pray for these people, but we need to be reminded about an important truth today, and that truth is this, that Jesus is the only one who can give true freedom to those who are enslaved to sin. The only one. In fact, a a book about hope, Joy and deliverance. While these things can be encouraging, and they can certainly point you to God's word and point you to Jesus, they can't do what only Jesus can do. You know, a politician promising to meet your every need can't do what only Jesus can do. Jesus was born, lived a perfect, sinless life, was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead so that we could be set free from the bondage of sin. Friends, today. We're able to live in freedom and in victory over sin and death because Jesus paid the ultimate price. In Ruth's day, there were three qualifications that a person had to meet if they were to become someone's family redeemer. And I want to show you this morning how each of these qualifications point us to Jesus as our redeemer. The first qualification was this. The man had to be what's called a near kinsman. He had to be a near kinsman. Now, this was a major obstacle that Boaz had to overcome because there was another man who lived in Bethlehem who was a nearer relative to Ruth than he was. We learned about this last week. So Boaz had to take certain steps before he could come Ruth's family redeemer to be that nearer kinsman. He had to talk with this nearer kinsman, offer an opportunity for him to marry and redeem Ruth first. And he had to have a public transaction that included several witnesses. He had to do all of these things before he could become Ruth's family redeemer. This reminds us that Jesus also had to do certain things before he could redeem us. Jesus had to be born as a man so that he could die for us on the cross. When Jesus was born, being fully God and fully man, he became our near kinsman. He had to live a sinless life so that he could be an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, once and for all. And he had to rise from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death. Jesus became our near kinsman. The second qualification was this. The family redeemer had to be able to pay the redemption price. He had to pay the redemption price. Naomi and Ruth were both far too poor to redeem themselves. But Boaz had a lot of money. He had all the resources necessary to set them free. You know, when it comes to the redemption of sinners, nobody but Jesus is rich enough to pay the price. In fact, no amount of money, good works, or good looks can set a person free, can set sinners free. It's only Christ's work on the cross that has accomplished redemption. The third qualification was this the family redeemer had to be willing to redeem. He had to be willing to redeem. The near kinsman in chapter 4, he was willing to purchase the land, but he wasn't willing to marry and redeem Ruth. Boaz, on the other hand, he was willing to purchase the land as well as redeem Ruth. The near kinsman, he had money, but he didn't have the motivation. When it comes to our redemption in Christ, we have a redeemer who freely chose to go to the cross. He was the only one who could pay the price. And you know what? He had the motive to do it. That motive was his love for you. Boaz went to the town gate to meet with this nearer kinsman. Now, in Ruth's day, the town gate was the official court where legal business took place. And it had to take place in the presence of the town leaders. There had to be witnesses. After seeing this near kinsman walk by and asking him to sit down with him, Boaz gathered 10 leaders from the town and asked them to participate as witnesses. Boaz wanted to make sure that things were done by the book, that there were no room for error. Redemption is a key theme in Ruth chapter 4. I think we're seeing that. And little did Boaz know, the transaction that was taking place would ultimately be part of God's perfect plan of bringing the Son of God into the world. Boaz set out to redeem Ruth, and in doing so, we're reminded that there can be no redemption without the paying of a price. You know, from our point of view, salvation is a free gift to whoever believes in Jesus. In fact, that's how I talk about it on, on Sundays and, and to different people. I like to call this God's free gift of grace. But it's important for us to understand today, from God's point of view, redemption is a very costly thing. It wasn't free. The near kinsman was willing to buy the land until... He learned that Ruth was part of the deal. It's not that he didn't like Ruth. In fact, the Bible tells us that basically everybody in town liked her. He just didn't want to jeopardize his own inheritance. If he married Ruth and the two of them had a son, and that son ended up being their only surviving heir, then Malon's property, Malon is Ruth's dead husband, and part of their family estate would end up going to Elimelech's side of the family. So, Boaz was extremely relieved when this nearer kinsman chose to step aside so that Boaz could step in and marry and redeem Ruth. You see, Boaz was willing to take a risk because of his obedience to God and because of his love for Ruth. And because he was willing to take a risk, his name is written down in God's word for every generation to see. In fact, Boaz and Ruth are both mentioned and the genealogy of Jesus that's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. I think this is amazing. I've mentioned a few times how Boaz's life points us to Jesus, our Redeemer. And this entire section of scripture is no exception. Like Boaz, Jesus wasn't concerned about jeopardizing his own inheritance. Instead, he made us a part of God's inheritance. Like Boaz, Jesus made plans and then he paid the price publicly. And like Boaz, Jesus did what he did because of his love for his bride. Now, it's important to note that while Boaz points us to Jesus, he's an imperfect example of who our perfect Savior is and what he's done. Boaz redeemed Ruth by giving out of his wealth, but Jesus redeemed his bride by giving himself on a cross. Boaz didn't have to suffer And die to redeem Ruth. But Jesus did have to suffer. He had to die and ultimately rise from the dead to redeem us. I'm sure there are many more amazing truths that I'm not covering when it comes to how Boaz, the bridegroom, points us to Jesus, the perfect bridegroom. But I think it's very powerful to see God's provision and plan unfolding generations before Jesus was even born on earth. So that's how the bridegroom points us to Jesus. Next, let's talk about the bride. We see this in verses 11 and 12. It's an awesome thing when the church is able to celebrate with the bride and groom because what they're doing is in the will of God. I've had the privilege of officiating three very special weddings over the last two years here at OCC. And I'll be the first to say all of these weddings have been celebrations. But serving on staff at other churches, I've actually witnessed weddings that were anything but joyful. In fact, it kind of seemed like the family members were grieving instead of celebrating. You know, Contrary to what many people believe today about marriage, marriage is meant to be a public event. It's not meant to be a private thing. And a biblical marriage always includes God and God's people. And every bride and groom should want the blessing of God and should want the blessing of his people on their marriage. This is exactly what we see in Ruth 4. The townspeople, they prayed that Boaz and Ruth would be able to have children. And this is an important reminder for all of us that children are always a blessing, not a burden. Children are always a blessing, not a burden. The townspeople also prayed that Boaz and Ruth would be able to live faithfully for God. And that God would bless their marriage There's an important word that I want to highlight this morning. It's in verse 11. It's the word Ephrathah. Ephrathah. You can say that with me if you'd like. Ephrathah. Um, This is a physical location. It's a place. But it's also an important word that means fruitful. See, the townspeople wanted Ruth to be fruitful and to bring honor to the town of Bethlehem. Now, we know that Bethlehem is a very special place for many reasons. A lot of well-known people in the Bible were either born and or buried there. But most importantly, it's known as the birthplace of Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. One of the main images of the church in God's word is the bride of Christ. Throughout the New Testament, we see God's love for his bride, the church, demonstrated in what he does for the church. Christ died for the church. He nourishes the church through his word, and he'll one day present his church in glory. God's work for his church is past, present, and future. So Ruth is the bride who's been redeemed in this story, but we are the bride of Christ who's been redeemed because of Jesus. And that's how the bride points us to Christ. The third person that I want to talk about this morning, and then we'll wrap up this message in this series, I think this is a great way to do so. I want to talk about the baby. And we see this in verses 13 through 22. So while Ruth was living in Moab, God gave her the faith to trust him and to be saved. And we see his grace continue in her life when she moved from Moab to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. God guided her to a field that happened to belong to a man named Boaz. Boaz fell in love with her. The near kinsman at the town gate decided not to marry and redeem Ruth, giving Boaz the opportunity to marry and redeem her himself. And after they got married, God blessed them with a son. So they named their son Obed, which means servant. His name means servant. I don't have time to go into detail of why this is important, but just know that the name fits. Obed was a servant. He served his family, the people around him, uh, more specifically, his grandma, Naomi. What's amazing to me is how God would continue to use Obed's life as a source of blessing to so many people. Obed was a blessing to his parents. Again, every single baby is a blessing, not a burden. They were blessed to be able to bring new life into the world and then to have the privilege and the responsibility to guide that life as he grew into the man that God created him to be. Obed was a blessing to his grandmother, Naomi. I think every grandparent here understands the joy that comes from being a grandparent. I'm, I'm not a grandparent, I'm a parent, but I know how my parents react when they're around my kids. You know, for Naomi, Obed was a restorer of life. We see this based on the response from the townspeople. It's like Naomi was young again. Warren Wiersbe has said that there's no better way to get a new lease on life than to start investing yourself in the younger generation. Friends, Naomi had a new lease on life. She had the awesome responsibility of being a grandparent. I think this is an important reminder for all of our grandparents today, that it's never too late to invest in the younger generation. For many of you, that starts with your grandchildren. So Obed was a blessing to Naomi. Finally, Obed was a blessing to the town of Bethlehem, to Israel, and to God's people everywhere. So with the death of Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, the family name was almost lost, but Obed would carry on that family name. This happened through the life of King David, Obed's grandson, and then ultimately through Jesus, who came through the line of David. Now, whenever we hear the name David, I think we often think of one of two things. We either think of Goliath or Bathsheba. Defeating Goliath was a huge victory in David's life, and Committing adultery with Bathsheba was a major setback. I think most people usually remember one of these two things. But I want to say today, I think we should also think about Obed, David's grandfather. See, David knew that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, but nobody knew which family in Judah God would choose. We know God chose David's family. We know that Jesus was born from David's family line. So when we think about David, we should also think about His grandfather, Obed, which was Boaz and Ruth's son. The entire story of Ruth is an incredible reminder of how God can do extraordinary things through the lives of ordinary people. Naomi was an ordinary woman who'd made some pretty poor decisions early on. She went through an incredibly difficult season, losing her husband and then her two sons, but God gave her a new beginning. Ruth was an ordinary woman from Moab who lost her husband, yet she decided to follow God no matter the cost. God blessed her life because of that. Boaz was an ordinary man who decided to live faithfully, care for his employees well, and step up to redeem Ruth out of obedience to God and because of his love for her. God blessed their marriage and blessed them with a baby. And nobody in Bethlehem knew that God had such huge plans for their son. Obed would go on to have a son named Jesse, and Jesse would have eight sons, the youngest of which would be David, in whose family line the savior of the world would come. Man, what a reminder today. The the next time you have an opportunity to hold a baby, to spend time with your grandchildren, or to serve in the children's or youth ministry at church, it's a reminder that you never know how God will choose to use your life to impact the younger generation. Just know this today, that your influence on the younger generation can make an eternal difference. Just like God used Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, and Obed, he wants to use your life to point other people to Jesus. God can do extraordinary things through your life if you'll let him. God can use your life for eternal Kingdom impact.